that, do we? Uh, I, I always think this should have been a guy doing the last minute Christmas shopping because that tends to be more the truth. Uh, anyway, she was doing the last minute Christmas shopping at a crowded mall and she, she tried f- fighting the crowds and realized uh, to no avail that she couldn't do it. And so she's uh, hustling and bustling around and she's tired of standing in line. She's tired of fighting her way to, uh, down aisles looking for gifts that have been sold out for days. And uh, finally, with her arms full, uh, she decides to, to get on an elevator. And when the elevator door opened, she realized that it was full. So the people in the elevator decided that they'd tighten ranks a little bit to allow her in with all of her stuff. And as the doors closed, she sighed and she blurted out, whoever is responsible for this whole Christmas thing ought to be arrested, strung up, and shot. And surprisingly, within the elevator, she got a lot of agreement through grunts and and sighs. Then from nowhere, probably somewhere in the back of the elevator, came a single voice that said, don't worry, they already crucified him. Now, what an amazing truth, right? That when you look over the 2,000 years ago and saw what happened, it changed everything. It changed everything. For the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at some of the names of God and their significance with Christmas. Because I'm telling you, maybe you haven't seen it before, but what took place at the birth of the Messiah was more than what we see. What took place at the birth of Messiah was God coming in flesh. And so the names of God matter to who Jesus is. J.B. Phillips says in his book, Your God is Too Small. He said, we tend to give God many names, which aren't actually his names. Names like managing director, puppeteer, magician, resident policeman, fun hater, pie in the sky, and others. Today we've added health and wealth bringer and others. You see, sadly, the names of God have fallen by the wayside, and we begin to give Him names of things we want Him to be, not actually who He is. And we have to be careful of that. Well, we can't name God something that is not His name because the names of God are essential, especially as we look at their connections to Jesus, the Christ, and Christmas. Let's pray. Father, I thank you and I praise you, God, for this opportunity that we have to come and worship you through your word. I pray, Lord, by your spirit that you would fill this place with your presence. That you would help us to see the truth, Lord. Not just to see the truth or hear the truth, but to live the truth. And we do pray for anyone in this room this morning that may not know you. That by your spirit, today would be the day that they come into salvation in you, Jesus. We thank you and we love you so much for doing under extraordinary circumstances an extraordinary work by leaving your throne in heaven to become Emmanuel, God with us. We love you and we thank you, Jesus. It's your name we pray. Amen. So the name I want to look at this morning is the name, and maybe you've heard it, El Shaddai. 
Uh, in the Hebrew, it's El Shaddai. But when we look at this idea of El Shaddai, we understand that it's used mainly in Genesis. However, you can find it, and it appears in Exodus and uh, Ezekiel as well. But the significance of this name is important in connection to Jesus and Christmas, which we'll look at as we look at this meaning of the name. And the significance of this name is, is amazing as you see what Jesus does and what he says, even after his birth and after his resurrection. When the word is broken down, we find the word El, which is a word used as God. Okay, it's another word for God, El. Now, this is a word that's normally used in conjunction with something that describes God's character, okay, um, or describes God's work. So El is God. You never see it really in the Hebrew Bible or the Christian Bible as just El. It's always El Shaddai, El Ochim, you know, those types of things. There's always something that goes along with the word El, okay, because it's a description. Now, when we look at this name, El is used in conjunction with this characteristic or this character description of God that we see as Shaddai. Now, Shaddai is used more often as a name rather than just a description, but nonetheless, it does describe God's character. The meaning of Shaddai is actually uncertain because there are, there are a few things that it could mean, but most often in the Hebrew Bible, it's translated as God Almighty or All-Sufficient One. God Almighty or All-Sufficient One. So, when you look at El Shaddai, God who is mighty and sufficient. Does that make sense? So El Shaddai, All-Sufficient One, Mighty God. So some scholars believe it actually means mountain, which suggests strength, right? It means uh, uh, something of, of power. So as an All-Sufficient God... He is seen as the one who completely nourishes. He is seen as the one who completely satisfies, who completely supplies his people with all they need. Would you agree with that? That that's the God that we serve? That is who we serve. So when you connect this with El, then you find that it denotes a God who freely gives nourishment and blessing, who meets every need. And you find a God who is all-sufficient and mighty. So as we look at the title of El Shaddai, or All-Sufficient One, we're going to look this morning at 2 Corinthians 12.9. And I want to see if you can pick this up uh, as we connect El Shaddai to something that is said to Paul in the 12th chapter of, of Corinthians, uh, well after his resurrection. So first, or 2 Corinthians 12, 9. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. It says this, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Did you see it? The sufficiency and the power of Christ. El Shaddai. You see, 
what God calls himself in the Old Testament matters in how we see Jesus in the new. Christmas absolutely mattered. We found in Isaiah 9, 6, the verse we read at the beginning of the service, some different titles that were given to the Messiah, Mighty Counselor, Wonderful God, Prince of Peace. You see, that is Jesus and in this chapter, Paul is writing of a vision. So if you read of all of chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians, you'll see that this is a vision Paul has received. Okay, And this is kind of cool because, I don't know about you, but I've never, I've never really received a vision per se. Like I've, I've had dreams and, and I've felt like the Holy Spirit guiding me and prompting me in different ways and, and recognized that. But, but I've never like sat there and went in this trance and had a vision. It'd be kind of cool. Paul does, okay? And, and really, this gives Paul a lot of room. If he wanted to brag about this, he probably could, but, but he doesn't. In fact, the thing about this vision that he writes about is his personal experience with, with God, uh, but instead of using himself, he says and calls this person a man in Christ. So he doesn't brag that this is my vision. He, a person in Christ, a man in Christ. And this vision was one that was worth boasting about, yet Paul refrains. Instead, he gives a reason that he cannot boast, and that is a thorn in his side. So if you've, if you've read this before, you realize Paul's talking about, I had this thorn in my side. Nobody knows what this thorn was. Okay, nobody knows. We have our ideas. Uh, Many biblical scholars believe it was, it was a physical ailment, or maybe many physical ailments. We know that Paul had bad eyesight, but maybe there was a, a lot of physical ailments. Maybe he, was, he knew as he aged, he was just, it, it was just happening, right? And so, I personally believe it was some physical ailment, and, and Paul knows that this ailment wasn't given to him by God. In fact, if you read a little bit further in chapter 12, he says the person that is responsible for this was a messenger of who? Satan. So a messenger of Satan gave him, but God allowed it to happen. It's interesting to me because we treat God as this magic genie that that cures all things and that His will would never be for us to suffer or have pain. You can go ahead and laugh because you know that's not true. But that's the way we treat God, isn't it? And we say prayers with God, God, if you would just take this away, I promise I'll never do this again. Or, or if you... We need to stop that. Because what's happening is God sometimes allows pain so that we come out stronger. Sometimes we have pain because he's teaching us in the midst of that to trust in him. Sometimes pain happens because of the decisions of others. And when that happens, there's more people that are involved in the pain, isn't there? And so therefore, you have to understand that God sometimes allows these things so that he can be strong in our weaknesses. And that's exactly what we read here. 
Paul prays three times for God to get rid of the thorn. Not happening, Paul. Instead, he hears these words. My grace is sufficient for you. El Shaddai, all-sufficient one. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Now you tell me that this Christian life is about you. It's not. It's about the power of the mighty God. And His power is made perfect in our weakness. When we don't have it figured out, when we're in pain, His power is made perfect as we submit to Him, as we fall before the King of Kings. He's made perfect in His power. He is this great sustainer. He is all-sufficient one. He's all that we need. Now, question. For those of you that have the Bible and you have the words of Jesus in red, what color are those words? Those are red. Those are red. It's one of the reasons I like the red letter version of the Bible because you clearly speaks of when Jesus is speaking, right? Jesus says, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Those are the words of Jesus. And this is one of the reasons Jesus was crucified. Because of the claims he made of himself. Here is a direct connection in my humble estimation of his being the same as El Shaddai. He is all-sufficient. And so as we see this, as Paul prays to the Lord, who is it that answers him? It's Jesus. Jesus tells Paul that his grace is sufficient for him. Throughout the Old Testament, at least seven times, God is referred to as El Shaddai. So, on the night that Jesus was born, it was El Shaddai that entered in the world in flesh. And to add to this event, look at the way it is done. El Shaddai, all-sufficient one, enters into the world in one of the most humble and weakest ways possible, through a baby. Now, if you have children and you've seen the miracle of birth, if you've ever held a baby, you know how amazing it is, but also how weak and humble and fragile a baby is. El Shaddai, mighty God, all-sufficient one, is born in the most humble and weakest way possible, as a baby. Now, think about the words Jesus spoke to Paul. My power is made perfect in weakness. <laughs> what a beautiful connection. 
Jesus' power is made perfect in weakness. So being born in the most humble and weakest way possible does not stop the power of God as it is made perfect in that weakness. That child was exactly what we needed. Because it would be just 30-some years later that that child, the Messiah, paid the penalty for you and I and three days later rose from the grave so that we, if we believe, could be with him for eternity. No other child born in this world, past, present, or future, could ever do that because it was his power that was made perfect in weakness. It is Jesus. Now, without looking too much into this, how amazing is it that the all-sufficient one's power came through the birth of a baby? It's clear that as there was much more than a mere baby in that manger, we sing the song Silent Night, which is a beautiful song, but if you read Revelation chapter 12, I believe that describes the birth of Christ. That was anything but a silent night as the great dragon comes to swallow the child up. And there was war, but guess who won? See, we worship Jesus because he is all-sufficient. All-sufficient. So what does that mean for us today? So just like for Paul, it means that his grace is enough, church. His grace is enough. There is nothing more that you need to do than just surrendering your life to him. His grace is enough. And just like a good father does as they comfort, feed, and protect their children, Jesus gives us all that we need by his grace. It is enough. It's all sufficient. The grace given to us is sufficient for all that we need because it comes from the all-sufficient one. Grace indicates power and it indicates favor. That's what grace really means. It's an unmerited gift. It's unmerited favor. You didn't earn this. It was given to you freely by the all-sufficient one. Jesus says that his grace is sufficient for you. So have you ever felt like you possibly could not be forgiven for something? I think one way or another, all of us have been there. Where God, I just, I just don't know that you can forgive this. His grace is enough. And when you come to him in repentance, when you lay down your life before the King of Kings, his grace is sufficient for you. Do you know someone who lives this way? I had a friend in high school who he came with me everywhere to church. I mean, he was, when, when you saw, and his name was Matt, uh, when you saw Dan, you saw Matt. That's just the way it was. At church, at school, at the grocery store, we even worked together. 
And he came to every youth group out, and he came to every trip we did. He came to church, and he listened, he participated. And one day, it was about our senior, I said, Matt, what are you doing? What do you mean, what am I doing? I said, you know the truth. Why haven't you accepted it? He says, I'm not done sinning yet. I like sinning. I'm not ready to give it up. I know who Jesus is, he said. I'm just not done having fun. That was his words. And to this day, he stands by them. As a 40, 41-year-old man. Now, when you think about that, when you think about the grace that Jesus gives, you have to understand that it is enough for you. That you don't have to have your life figured out before you give your life to Him. That's the greatest thing about Jesus is He cleans you up after you surrender to Him. He doesn't say, well, you know, you better quit smoking or you better, you better quit cussing or you better... No, no, no. <laughs> he says, you come as you are. Come to me as you are. My grace is sufficient for you. That's the God we serve. And when you see Jesus in this, you know if you've experienced the grace of Jesus that this is true. Otherwise, how could a God like that use anybody like me or you? Because we are all unworthy to be in his presence. Yet his grace is sufficient for each and every one of us. And he will use us in our brokenness. The Bible calls this jars of clay. So we are marred and we are cracked. The light can still shine. Because God uses us. It's enough. It is by grace that you have been saved. Remind you through Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 5. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, and when we were dead in our trespasses, our sins, he made us alive together with Christ. And here's those words by grace you have been saved. It is enough. Grace is the power and the favor of God. And that's exactly what is needed to sustain us and to give us life. It is sufficient. It is enough. And so if you do not know the grace of Jesus Christ truly, in just a short while, I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond and to accept His grace. And let me tell you something. It is, enu it is enough for you. It is the sustaining truth. And finally, like Paul, we know that his power is perfect in our weakness. I've shared the story before, but when I was a kid, I had a terrible, what I would deem terrible, stuttering problem. And I never thought in the wildest dreams <laughs> that God would ever call me as having a stuttering problem to ministry. 
Because part of ministry, if you haven't noticed, whether you're a youth pastor or you're a children's pastor, music, you got to talk. His power is made perfect in weakness. Moses did the same thing. But God, you can't send me. I don't, I don't talk well. Well, guess what, Moses? You have a brother, Aaron, that speaks pretty well. So guess who I'm going to send with you? Your brother, Aaron's going with you, and he'll speak. You see, if God's will is God's will, he's going to achieve it, is he not? He will achieve it whether you keep fighting it or not. He's going to have it done. With you or without you. I've learned it's better to agree to his will because when you do that, you receive the blessing from his will as well. And it's not always what you think. Every last one of us sin. That's life. There's not a person in this room that says, well, you know, I don't sin as much as this guy. Sin is sin. It's all separation from the Lord. All of us sin. We all struggle through life, disappointing God along the way. But on the same time, we have times when things are going really well and become conceited and proud in that. Sin. We begin to take credit for the things that, that are happening that, oh, I did that, or, or I'm a part of that, or, or that's because of me. Both the struggles and the triumphs in life can become weaknesses. Just because it's going well and you can take credit for something doesn't mean that it's a strength. It is an absolute weakness to become conceited and prideful in your ways. Sin, no matter if it's in triumph or defeat, sin is always a weakness. It exemplifies our need for redemption. In our weakness of sin, Jesus can destroy it all because He's all-sufficient. In our sin, His all-sufficient grace is enough. His power is made perfect in that weakness. In our triumphs, we can forget who has allowed us to succeed. If you are successful, it is only because God has blessed you and given you grace. And Scripture tells us the rain falls on the good and the bad, doesn't it? So we often wonder, well, how come that guy's immoral? How come he got all that money? Life happens to everyone. The difference is those who are in Christ understand the blessing of grace. At least we should. This often leads these triumphs, not understanding that they're blessings from God, can often lead to boasting. And this is what Paul was avoiding, wasn't he? He didn't want to boast in what God had shown him and given him, and, and that thorn was a reminder that he couldn't boast because it wasn't him. It was Jesus So when we're boasting, it brings no glory to Jesus. 
In that time, although you feel strong, you are very weak. Because glory is not given to the one who blesses and sustains. Jesus can take those times and He can humble us to show us the true strength that is working in us. And I believe this is one of the reasons Paul had a thorn in his side. It was God's way of allowing Satan, the messenger of Satan, to kind of attack Paul, but in the process, God knew at the end of the day, Paul's returning to him. His grace is sufficient for Paul. And it's the same for us, church. Jesus will work through those weaknesses because it brings him glory. And it strengthens us in the end. His power is made perfect when we realize and understand that we need Him in all areas of life. God is not a God to be compartmentalized and say, that's my Sunday Jesus, that's my Wednesday Jesus, that's my Bible study Jesus. God demands your all. And if we are not living like He's our all, then we are living in rebellion to Him. Jesus is not one to just give part-time grace, is he? He is a full-time God, and and for some reason the church likes to serve him part-time. It's time that we repent of that and understand who it is that we call God. He is the name above all names, and at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. He is the only name by which we can be saved, Jesus Christ. And yet we treat him like a part-time genie, only when we need him. We will have to give account for that. We will stand before the King of kings and the Lord of lords and we will have to give an account for that. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not us. Our bodies are broken, are marred, but yet Jesus as believers, still resides in each and every one of us. No matter our weakness. Why? Because He can still use us. He still shines through us. He still works. And through that, His surpassing power is His. It's not ours. We are but jars of clay The gift of the Holy Spirit shines through the cracks and the holes of our lives. You're never too far to be redeemed. You're never too far from His grace. In our sin, we must repent and come back to His grace. And He promises that His grace is sufficient for you. 
It is the power that lets people see God in us, the all-sufficient one. And it shows people the beautiful, sufficient gift of grace. That's really what it's all about, isn't it? Grace. Grace. God's power and favor sufficiently given to us in our weakness. At our worst, He is His best. And praise Him for that. Grace that is given to a broken and marred people who willingly surrender their lives to Jesus, El Shaddai, All-Sufficient One. He is all we need. The, pr- the point is, is that there is no greater gift. And it came through a baby. It came through a humble and weak child. Through a baby that was more than what God or what we could actually see. Grace has always been a part of who God is. You could die right now with nothing. And if you have Jesus, you have everything that you need. So don't, don't look at your life as successful by what you have. Look at your life as successful because of who you serve. The all-sufficient one. The King of kings and the Lord of lords. That's Jesus. And that's what we celebrate as we celebrate the birth of Christ. And as Mr. Christmas, which is what I have earned the nickname of from many people, Sometimes when I'm listening to Christmas music in May, it's because I need that reminder. That it's just not one time a year that we're supposed to celebrate this amazing gift. Because of the manger, there's the cross. And because of the cross and the resurrection, if you believe, you will be saved. Let's pray. Father, El Shaddai, all-sufficient one, mighty God, we come before you humbly asking you to forgive us. Lord, we need you. We are all weak. We are all feeble. None of us is worthy to even be in your presence. But because of Jesus, for those who have trusted in you, you have made righteous. And we can enter into your presence because of the blood of the Lamb. We celebrate this season the gift of life through your Son. That without the manger, there is no cross. And without the cross and his resurrection, we have no chance. But again, that just shows that you are El Shaddai. So we thank you. We thank you, Jesus, that is in our weakness, 
that you are strong. We love you and we thank you. We praise you for the gift of life that you have given us. It's your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.